Hello, I'm Karis. And I'm Rachel. And together we are the Therapy Sisters podcast, where we invite you to come home to yourself. We are therapists, sisters, and works in progress. Do you have a success story of overcoming something challenging in your life? We want to hear from you. Please email your story to thetherapysisters at gmail.com to be included in our regular installment of Own Your Story. We want to encourage fellow female journeyers with stories of success and growth. We want to note that although we are clinical therapists, this podcast is not a replacement for individual therapy and we are not here to give clinical advice. Please see our show notes for recommendations of therapists in your area. Hi there, this is Karis with the Therapy Sisters, and we have a couple of special invitations for you. First, we have started a private ladies-only Facebook community. Our mission with this community is to provide a supportive network of women to help facilitate connection, growth, and learning. Rachel and I will be showing up there regularly, and eventually we'll be providing lots of helpful resources, tips, tools, and guidance to help women connect to themselves and step into their most authentic, balanced lives. If this sounds interesting to you, the group is called the Authentically You Sisterhood. Second, we have a gift for you. If you are interested in digging deeper on the four areas of connection we covered in our first series, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational, we have written a guide with lots of ways to lean into each of those areas and with journaling prompts and exercises that will help facilitate the journey of coming home to your authentic self. You can find links to the Facebook group and to the guide in our show notes. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Therapy Sisters podcast. Today, we have the privilege of interviewing Jessica Downs, who is an EMDR trainer. She trains with Case & Co. Um, and does both basic and advanced presentations on ego states and complex trauma. Jessica also owns her own private practice in Grand Junction, Colorado, called Live Well Counseling. And her group of therapists all specialize in various aspects and populations of complex trauma. And then personally, I have the privilege of learning under Jessica because she was my consultant in training, and I chose to continue to work with her um, beyond my EMDR basic training as my consultant um, so that I can continue to learn and grow as an EMDR clinician. So welcome, Jessica. We're so glad you're here today. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So can you begin by telling us a bit about yourself and how you got into this work? Yeah. So, um, how I got into this work tells probably a lot about myself. I started my adult career world life as a high school teacher and um, in Houston, Texas, just among the super traumatized population group of people. Um, I loved that work. I threw all the way in with that work and then recognized that there were bigger systems at play that Mm -hmm. I couldn't exactly tackle with like my super teacher capacity. So mm-hmm. um, decided to go back and um, get my master's in social work. We moved to Denver and I went to DU and did a master's there and just really started to recognize that what I was seeing in high school, like lots of behaviors that I felt pretty okay with. I was like young and in my twenties and fine with everything. Right. But um, <laughs> lots of people were very frustrated with these behaviors and just recognizing like, oh my gosh, this I stumbled into the world of trauma and I was like, this is, this explains everything, right? Why everything is so hard and for these kids and why everything is so, um, like why it looks so scary. Um, I just started to really understand like these are adaptations to stress. 
So I leaned in and I went into the trauma world. I came across some really nice mentors. Um, one of them I still work with, Rebecca Case at Case & Co. She was such a great mentor early on and still is such a great colleague. And we do really nice things together. But um, she pushed me towards EMDR training. And then I just kind of stumbled with her into ego states therapy. And it just it changed everything to start to see the complexity of the internal system of humans because we are mm-hmm. complicated <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it gave it kind of gave me a way to understand it more clearly yeah I know for both Rachel and myself, it's been absolutely like mind blowing and has changed. I think for both of us has changed not only how we approach things clinically, but also just personally and understanding ourselves better. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been super powerful. Mm -hmm. So I know like not a lot of people have heard of ego states therapy. And I know like we've both been in the field for a while and it was pretty new to us. I mean, I I think I'd heard about it, but I just didn't really understand (laughs) what it was and, and the power Mm -hmm. kind of it brings to, to therapeutic approach and that sort of thing. So for those of us who don't know, um, what it is, can you kind of give us a rundown, um, especially for those non-clinical folks who might be curious? Yeah, you bet. I mean, so the history of ego states therapy, it goes back a long time to like really early psychodynamics, psychoanalytic approaches, and then was really refined by um, John and Helen Watkins. They started taking earlier information like in the 70s and 80s and then really turned it into ego states therapy in the 90s. And essentially what it's looking at is, I mean, the beauty of ego states therapy, this is like for clinical or non-clinical folks, is that there are so many times that we move through the world and we're kind of unsure of like, where did that response come from? Or why do I both, why do I feel like I both want to like run and hide and then stand up and fight all at the same time, right? Kind of these dual experiences or why, when I go to Thanksgiving with my family, do I all of a sudden feel super regressed and I'm like pouting and throwing tantrums and we get kind of outside of ourselves yeah ego states mm-hmm. therapy does is it helps us kind of look inside at how our personality is formed across all of our ages and helps us understand like oh there are parts of me there's a part of me that sometimes just wants to curl up and cry there's a part of me that you know, loves to stand up and say bad words. And there's a part of me that's going to throw a fit at everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's normal. We all have parts of self and and that's huge simplification, but it, it takes a complex human, right? I feel like I'm a pretty complex human being and I can look inside and say, oh, right. That 15 year old, there she is, right? There's that version of me, that part of me that has all the behaviors, all the personality traits, all the patterns, all the beliefs, right, that existed then, and they still get activated now. Not to say I'm immature. It's just to say there are many parts of me. Other parts of me are like, I have a super strong therapist part and there, I'm sure I have a very strong therapist voice and way of, um, of really showing up and tuning in in a way that's different than the part of me that does parenting or the part of me that goes full send on a mountain bike, right? Like that's my hobby. And I don't think anybody would ever say like, she's probably a therapist when I'm on my mountain. bike. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they're different parts of me. And it, and it's, um, it's helpful both to understand those different parts, but then also 
build compassion that we have all those parts and then the parts that sometimes we're a little more ashamed of. Yeah. I was just thinking that how like when clients start to identify those parts, like it's almost like this reprieve of like, this isn't my fault. Like the shame piece is so loud. So like even recognizing like, no, that really destructive part formed as a way to protect you, you know? Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about what happens to the parts when a trauma occurs? Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, so I joke about, I always joke in my trainings and all the time about my 15 year old part. That's like, don't tell me what to do. Like, don't tell me to, or you're going to tell me not to run on the left side of the street. I'm totally going to do that. Or like, (laughs) but I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that extra. Right. So I have that, like, don't tell me what to do part. And, um, you know, those are pretty normative developmental parts and the parts of me that are like, yeah, super um, strong and the mountain biking part are kind of competitive and and all of those parts. And those are pretty normative. What happens and where ego states therapy becomes really, really effective though, is that sometimes we, um, we have parts of ourselves that are a little more dissociated or we kind of um, exile them sometimes, or they're a little more <laughs> shameful because so when we talk about parts, another piece of the whole parts conversation and puzzle is to talk about um, the theory of structural dissociation. That sounds super big and weighty and we won't come into all of it, but it helps us kind of understand that, you know, over the course of our lives, things happen to us and we code them as memories, right? We're like, oh, that means this thing is dangerous. And that shapes my perception or my behaviors or the way I um, like, maybe I don't leave the house after a certain time, or I avoid this type of um, road or street or interaction or social environment. Right. Um, And so we code those memories and that just helps us figure out our personality, how we move through the world. And then when something happens to us and it overwhelms us, sometimes our nervous system doesn't know how to really like, turn that into just a life lesson, right? Or just, uh, Mm -hmm. we call that integration. It doesn't know how to just be like, oh, this thing happened and I'm okay, but I can pivot and do things differently in the future. It gets stored in our memories as um, still really scary or really overwhelming. And then anything that comes and touches it or triggers it or activates that old memory, it feels like we're reliving it. Mm -hmm. So through the lens of parts work, we look at... Um, or ego states therapy. Sorry, I go back and forth between the words parts work and ego states therapy. We're looking at when something becomes kind of overwhelming to us. Sometimes we develop parts of self that hold that information, right? So general PTSD, if it's kind of just like this one-off experience and it's left me with lots of symptoms, you don't necessarily have to treat that through ego states therapy. But when you have somebody who's exposed to ongoing toxic, chronic, like stress, right? Usually from childhood when I don't get all my needs met or too many things are happening to me and overwhelming me as a child. As a little kid, you don't always have skills or tools or ways to deal with that. You don't have those, right? Those you rely on your caregivers to have to have those for you. Mm-hmm. So we start to have to kind of partition off some of that distress. So it's like, I can be okay in life as long as I don't have to remember this thing, or as long as I don't have to, like, I might put a, put little playful parts of me off to the side because 
if I'm too mm-hmm. playful or too loud, I'm going to get in trouble for for that behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what that starts to look like in adult years is this kind of these little networks of memories and experiences that have really strong boundaries around them because we had to partition it away. We had to put it away, right? And so when we're dealing with clients with complex trauma or higher levels of dissociation, we have to kind of find those little parts, those little networks that will look like parts of self, like a wounded child part or a part that... Um, was afraid to talk about being sick or a part, whatever the actual experiences were at the time, right. That got kind of pushed away or exiled or set, set apart. Um, We have to find them and essentially rescue them, bring them back to the present day, help those little parts that had to go away, right. Learn that the coast is clear. This isn't happening anymore, right. You're older, you have a bigger body, you have more choices. You don't live with, your caregivers and bring those parts all the way back to the present day and, um, and fill as an adult, right. In the most present day part of me, lots of understanding and compassion for those parts. Those yeah. are huge keys toward integration. So it's a big question. <laughs> I know you said what happens. Yeah. Um, that's the bigger conversation that when, when we are so overwhelmed, we have to do something with it. And the brain is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, we're going to put mm-hmm. that over here mm-hmm. and we're going to put mm-hmm. down around it so you can't access it. And that really serves a really beautiful, functional, safekeeping purpose until it doesn't anymore when we grow up. Right. And right. I, I love how you, you, called that out like the brain's function in that and I think that's I think that's a good first step in sort of facilitating some compassion towards those parts of ourselves that we might otherwise reject that like hey your brain your brain's just trying to keep you safe here it's just trying to you know it's just trying to protect you um it's not like a deficit within you it actually means that things are are working for you and I think that's such a helpful conceptualization yeah I love that too I mean every aspect of my work so every aspect of my work really just leans on what I believe is just the incredible capacity and resilience of every individual right like I hold the belief that is super rooted in the theory that drives EMDR which is AIP or the adaptive information processing model that essentially all behavior has significant meaning, right? Like behaviors aren't just like, oh, you're doing this immoral, bad thing. Like there's value to trying to change our behaviors. But I'm always of the opinion like, yeah, sure, work on those, but first understand them. Notice where they came from. Like if you really want to heal the wound that is producing those behaviors, understand yourself, right? Because it came from somewhere, not because people just love to mess up their lives or make the world worse or more difficult, right? Yeah. We're not geared for that. So yeah, I love that about so, it. So I know that parts work is really effective for severe dissociation, right? But I think tonight's people here, ego states are parts work and think it's something like um like major DID, right? And would you say, I mean, I know it's a semi work, but you're the expert, so I'm gonna ask you, would you say like this is something that's helpful for even those little T's too, like people who have just experienced like attachment, like dismissal in their early childhood or um, like I find with like anxious clients, there's a lot of like fear of dismissing. And so they develop this like people pleasing part because they don't want someone to not care for them. And there's no major big T. It's just like little things along the way that affirmed 
that they weren't important, you know? So do you feel like it's just as effective for those, for that type of work too, if people don't have like a major big trauma that that they can identify? Yeah. I mean, I think that stands a question of just testing experience, right? I mean, you Mm -hmm. both have been trained in ego states therapy. And I think I remember in your intros hearing you've done your own ego states work, Mm -hmm. right. And looking at parts of you and, and maybe you don't come from a complex trauma background, but is it helpful to notice those parts for you? Like how, I mean, for sure. Is that okay for me to ask that? I'm just yeah, away yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm curious about that. Yeah. We actually recorded a, a one-off episode on this actually. So, uh, but go ahead, Rachel answer. <laughs> no, I was going to say, um, it's interesting because like I talk about this a lot in the podcast, but I'm super tender and sensitive and always have been. Right. And so I think it's interesting because I did a lot of work in therapy in my early twenties, but I don't know that I actually healed like my little T's because I didn't know I could. And in like the work of EMDR until I went to EMDR. Or what they were. Yeah. Or really what they were. Yeah. It's interesting. I was thinking of that the other day, what I thought it was versus what I think it actually is now. And I think even looking back on that, I think it was two things. I think at 20, my body could only handle processing what I thought it was at that time. And then I also think um, I'm just older and wiser. <laughs> so there's a more sense of like knowing myself, but I, I dialogue with, I, when you're saying you're 15 year old part, I for sure have a 13 year old part that for sure acts like a 13 year old and is like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to like all the frosting around this rim because I'm going to right now. And it's funny because I notice when I feel, and it can be something that I do to myself. Like if I have a week where I'm just slammed and my kids are sick and I'm doing all the things. And then I hit the end and I start to notice like that kind of, kind of spirally, like, I don't care. I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) I'm very aware now that that's that little part that needs nurtured, right? So it's that trigger of like dismissal or not feeling nurtured or cared for. So then I come back and I do it for myself through like meditation and journaling. So I think it's incredible because it shifted it from like, okay, I'm going to be curious and open about you. And I'm going to be present with you and create like my, my 38 year old part is going to create space for you because I know how to nurture and love a kid. Um, instead of being mad that there's a reaction, right? So it just has shifted that whole like paradigm of thinking for me. And I would say it wasn't even something super destructive. It wasn't like I was having destructive behaviors. It's just now that I know, I'm like, oh, I can actually communicate with that and bring myself to a better integrated space. And the more work I do, like the more meditative work I do around that, it, I sometimes feel like I can feel all of that moving in my body, you know, like the part of me moving into the part of me that just needs to be nurtured and cared for. So I think it's, I think it'll be an ongoing journey the rest of my life. But I would also say too, I think it makes me a lot better of a mom to walk through like, oh, those are little parts of my kids that are developing if I don't intervene and have this conversation right now. Like we're in one of those days with my daughter right now where she's just feeling left out and having a bad time. You probably heard her yell a minute ago because I did. (laughs) But like just not in a good space, right? And so knowing that just shifts that from like, okay, so I need to really figure out the root of this to interrupt this pattern for her because she's totally like me emotionally so that she ends up really integrated and healthy as she gets older, you know? So- that's a long answer, but it's such a beautiful work and it's always in process, you know? I think it's such mm-hmm. a great answer. And, you know, it started from your question of like, can you, is this effective <laughs> for folks without complex trauma? Yeah. yeah. I would say the same thing. Like I joke about this 15 year old, but like, here's a little more vulnerable piece of that. I remember there was one time, you know, because I know you're doing an episode or you did an episode on what makes a woman, right? And I started listening. And this is a thing that I think about a lot because I grew up with um, a pretty conservative religious background. And um, I mean, I just think 
women in America, right? Like there aren't tons. When I was growing up, there were not so many examples of strong, like business minded Mm -hmm. or. Right. um, Right. Right. This is like focus on goals and what you want to become. Like college was kind of an extra thing because education just mattered morally and generally, but why? Right. Right. Kind of didn't fit that pattern. Like as I started going through college and I was like, I want a career and I want a family and this doesn't fit with everything. I remember mm-hmm. kind of getting a little spicy about it. I'm like, come at me, tell me what I can't do. You know, <laughs> tell me what to do. But there were other pieces there that felt a lot of shame. And um, like, am I okay? I'm pushing against mm-hmm. something here. And am I actually okay? And I have a really strong memory of taking some of that experience of like shame and self-doubt and like, is this little fiery part of me okay? And I didn't know that part of me very well at the time. And I like to take walks because, you know, I'm an EMDR therapist and everything is bilateral. I'm like, I need the left, Mm -hmm. right, left, right. Mm -hmm. Very soothing. And it helps me kind of make some associations. So I have this special place I like to go walk. And I took a bunch of those big, like self-doubt, self-questioning emotions on a big walk. And I remember having this visual of this like super strong, but very distorted picture of myself. And those internal projections, as we start to personify the parts of us, one, it kind of externalizes it so we can kind of work at it. But it also tells us a lot about how we see those parts. So when I see this little piece of me that is like the jaw was like, off and really like looked almost like a Picasso painting. Mm. I knew I was like, I don't like that part of me. Like I have Mm. a lot of phobic feelings toward that part. And just over time, like I think I was walking for at least over an hour. I eventually see kind of like this super like divine, strong feminine part of me, just like wrap that version Mm. of me up. Mm. I love that. Contour softened. And I started to recognize like, mm-hmm. like, no, this is, this is who I am. This is a piece of me. Mm-hmm. And now she's just like this little, piece. Mm-hmm. like there was a lot more that happened in that visual, but to watch that part of me soften and my feelings toward that soften, that shifted so much for me. So now I can joke like, oh, there she is. Right? Like, oh, that'll give you cancer. I'm like, bet it won't. Yeah. Right. Or like, um, <laughs> watch me. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Like, you should I'm like, Gonna do it, right? And so yeah. it, it, I can joke about it because I have tons of understanding and tons of compassion for where that little version of me came from, mm-hmm. and that it's like it's okay. There's a poet that I love. She puts a lot of stuff on Instagram. Her name is Kate Bear, and she wrote this poem called Moon Song, and it kind of helps me move through some of this. Um, but she talks about how you can be a woman of commotion and quiet magic and brain and to like I think that's such a beautiful way to look at parts of self like yes I certainly have super quiet still wise thoughtful parts of me and then I have parts of me that listen to like Latinx protest music and like want to burn it all down right and like it's (laughs) okay (laughs) it's all okay like that's all part of me Mm -hmm. so so yes you can absolutely do work and really profound internal work. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a history of complex trauma, and then if you do, it is that much more essential. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love, I love that that both and um, that you just highlighted because I think 
so many people, and I think a lot of women tend to be very perfectionistic, very black and white thinking. And so like, I'm either this or I'm this. And if I'm this, it means I can't be that. And there's so much compassion and that recognition of, Hey, I can be this and I can be that. I can be the rebellious teenager and I can be my wise older self. Right. And just, um, I also just, the other thought that comes to mind, I think it's so beautiful. Like, how you saw like your older, wiser, like divine self embracing your younger self. I know Rachel's had some experience like that in her own, you've shared about that, Rachel, her, her own kind of EMDR process. I have a client in particular, every time we are reprocessing a memory, I know she's, I know she's like turning the corner when she sees herself, her current adult self enter this past memory, the picture of the past memory and embrace her younger self. Like it, it makes me cry like every time because it's just so, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so powerful. And that is like some of the beauty and the power of this work is like our own ability mm-hmm. to, to just embrace those parts of ourselves and, you know, work towards, you use the word integration you know, and that's where it's at. That's the goal. So maybe that's a good question. What, how would you, def- what is integration and how, how do we work towards that? Yeah. I mean, I think there are a couple ways to think about it. I had the thought just as you were describing that, I bet all of your listeners, when they hear that story, right. Or the way I described mine, when that older, wiser, softer self comes and like holds that little part, people could argue that that's imaginative, but I bet all your listeners mm-hmm. had some kind of emotional response to that. Because internally, we know what we need, right? And that really roots in that idea that, like, we know where we need to go, where we want to go. And we know the things that we need to feel whole, and that represents it. So in a neurobiological, like, explanation of that, what we're doing is we're bringing old that is stuck in old patterns, beliefs, behaviors, perceptions Mm -hmm. to now. And, like, relieving those neural networks of their need to be active. Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't have to be taking care of me. I am an adult, right? You don't have to caretake my actions. Like I don't live with these people. I don't live this kind of life. Like it's okay. It's just clear, right? So when we talk about integration, the way I like to think about it a lot is like, um, if, for example, I look at myself as me on a bus and all the parts of me on a bus, we are all Mm -hmm. driving in the direction of life. And mm-hmm. ideally, if I'm integrated, I haven't kicked off. I don't, I don't get rid of any of those parts. Can't, I don't try, I don't want to, but I've understood them all. We've helped all those parts recognize like coast is clear. We're all on the bus together, but the adult is in control of driving. Right. Mm-hmm. So the three-year-old can look up from coloring and be like, Hey, Hey, it looks kind of scary over there. And the adult can be like, Hey, it's okay. Like I'll slow down. Right. Or um, I'm feeling kind of hungry and tired. And it's like, okay, let's pull over and stop for a minute. And I'm going to practice self-care and nurture, like you said, Rachel, like nurture some of those younger parts of me. Right. But if we're not integrated, then what that can feel like a lot of times is like I'm driving and then all of a sudden my 15 year old like hijacks. She's like, we're going over here. (laughs) Right. Right. Or, or, you know, and it can feel jarring and out of control. And and on the outside of life, we're just like, what is going on? Like, what are those responses? Why am I acting this way? And then that just feels like greater shame and, and kind of reinforces that system. So integration is kind of getting all those parts to work together recognizing the most adult most present day part is the one Mm -hmm. doing life 
And I think the one of the things that stands out about that to me is like the responsiveness then. So like that mm-hmm. 3-year-old part saying mm-hmm. I'm tired and hungry. Like you're not saying shut up, we have a plate we have somewhere to be. You got an hour. Yeah, neglecting that. We're listening to it. We're giving it space. We're we're dignifying it. And we're responsive to it. I love that. Dignifying it. Exactly. Like your needs matter. And how corrective is that, right? When we think about how these parts really formed, right? When we think about what a trigger actually is, is it's just pointing us to where woundedness is. Mm -hmm. So like if we if we are taking that three-year-old need and we're ignoring it and shoving it down and dismissing it and shaming it, like you shouldn't need that right? Mm-hmm. We're continuing to perpetuate the same thing that created the distress in the first place. Mm-hmm. But when we lean toward it and we start to nurture those little aspects of us, those little parts of us, because we're recognizing that we need it. I need rest. I just need play. I just need to turn everything mm-hmm. off. I need ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. I need <laughs> yes. Whatever, Swedish fish, whatever you need, right? And um when we can lean toward that, we're doing this beautiful process of reparenting and, mm, and yes. taking a wounded, those little wounded things and doing it differently. It's super corrective. I was just thinking that like the, the reparenting nurturing piece of that. And I think we'll, t- I'm sure we'll talk about this. Well, I'll ask my question and then I'll talk about it because it, it weaves into EMDR. But when you do ego states, states therapy, like when do you indicate that that's appropriate in the therapeutic process and how do you weave it into that process? Mm-hmm. So I do ego states therapy with all my clients. Cause like we identified, it's just, it's helpful to know mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. Right. Like I've done it with um, clients who are recognizing like my identity. I am gay, but I'm super afraid to come out. And so we'll explore the parts, like the part that is most present and wants to live like this full spectrum of my life. And the part that's little and is still caretaking my more conservative parents. And then when you bring those together, like, it's like, oh yeah, eight-year-olds don't take care of parents, right? I'll, I'll take, I'll manage that as the adult. Yeah. So like little ways like that, that's not, you don't necessarily have to do it that way. There are lots of ways to do that. But when we come to more complex trauma, so when we're looking at complex trauma, so again, like ongoing chronic toxic stress from childhood or other things, right? That's usually an indicator, but it can we can develop complex trauma in other ways. But I am always screening for underlying dissociative traits. So by dissociative, I mean kind of two ways we talk about dissociation. So dissociation is one way, like I'm overwhelmed and so I'm checking out. Like I did way too much this week. So I'm just going to binge my Netflix queue or I did way too much. So I'm just going to drift off for a little bit and then I'll come back or think about this thing over here for a little bit and then come back. That's pretty mild dissociation. Um, But then what we're really looking at that would indicate a, a need for ego states therapy is if they're if when somebody was younger, there was an ongoing need to partition and partition that distress and to dissociate, then it creates that kind of dissociative personality structure. It's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. And if that if we have that dissociative personality structure and we try to treat a person like they are one dimension, like this is a person with this behavior or these personality traits or whatever, however we see that, or they're so cantankerous in the therapy office, or they're so avoidant, or sometimes they're motivated and sometimes they're not. It can get really confusing. 
that you that those would be adequate descriptions if you were looking at a person as one dimensional. Mm-hmm. But when we recognize there are those underlying dissociative traits or a potential dissociative disorder, we have to take a closer look at all of those parts of self that have been created because of ongoing pretty significant trauma or adversarial stuff. Um, so can do it with any client and it's very successful, right? We get to resolve internal conflicts, funky ways of thinking, all of that, but a super necessary thing to do when we're looking at more complex presentations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Rachel, did you have something else you were going to mention? You said you were going to ask your question and then come back to it. Oh, I was just thinking about how ego states interweaves really well with EMDR um, because Mm, mm -hmm. there's so many times where, like, and this isn't necessarily, I didn't really, I don't, I haven't advertised myself as this, but one of the things I keep running into with my clients, which so aligns with like our podcast and Karis and my own journey and maybe yours, I don't know much about your story, but is kind of some of the, um, little messages along the way in really religious homes that ended up becoming traumatic narratives as adults, right? And so it's interesting because a lot of times when I'm doing EMDR with somebody and they have this consistent like black and white, and you can tell it's kind of punitive, like narrative that keeps coming up. And I ask, what age is that narrative? Instantly, they're like, oh, she's seven and we're sitting in the church and this is what I'm doing. And I'm checking, like it's this instant. So it's so amazing to me how it's so organic. Yes. Like I have not had a client be like, what do you, I mean, maybe in the beginning, like, what do you mean? But it's like this, like, yep, it's seven. And right. then, and then being able to go in and asking them like, well, can you, could you bring like your current nurturing mom self in and could you maybe sit with her and maybe just see what she needs? It breaks all these walls mm-hmm. or even, um, or even I had a client a couple weeks ago who was very triggered. She's not highly dissociative, but she was very triggered by a dating situation because somebody had ignored her and she's a lot of dismissal growing up. And so we did a whole session, a small BLS, just communicating with that little seven-year-old girl. And then she took her to the park and she played with her and interacted with her and did all this stuff. And at the end, she was just like, what was that? Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> because she just, for the first time, like played with her, played with that little part. Like she does her own children. Like, oh, nobody saw me. And I realized I've been blaming myself for all this stuff. So it's kind of, Mm. I mean, it's not magical, but it feels like this whole new, like beautiful work that interweaves with, I wasn't doing EMDR at that client. I was like, oh, you need to do some parts work today. (laughs) And so it was just beautiful because she was, she was game. And so she engaged. And at the end of it, she said that was so hard and so, so, so good. And so now it's like this opening a door of conversation. So I love how it like it really does fit with other modalities, like a glove, like you need this to heal this. And it, it's just interesting how like at the end of it, people are like, wow, no, I was really wronged. And I really am okay. Mm-hmm. Because there is that shame. That's maybe, I think a lot of times subconscious, you know, like you don't know you're walking in these narratives because they're quote truths, right? Until you get to a point where you realize that's not my truth <laughs> and you have to reframe it. Yeah. So it's, I just think it's so And even in my own process of that, of recognizing like, that's not a narrative I want to carry, you know, like that's not something that I consciously believe is true, but I very much believe I need to fix this so everybody loves me, you know? And so walking through that whole process of, nope, I'm good. (laughs) So it's just so interesting how it just all interconnects organically too, you know, when you have, I'm sure. Synergistic. Oh, so good. Um, It takes us to the deepest levels of ourselves, right? I mean, it's one thing to know. I always have to do this thing where I, I put my hand on my head. I'm like, we know something here. 
and then a hand on my heart and a, and we know something very different here and what we're really talking about are different structures of the brain and our consciousness and all of that right but people resonate with that like I might know logically, cognitively that things are okay, but there is something internally that just feels old and unresolved. And, and I can resonate that like, yeah, there's, there's some deeper kind of subconscious work to do there. Yeah. So in terms of EMDR, when we're talking about EMDR, so ego states can be paired with anything, like you said, it just Mm -hmm. fits like a glove, right? It is. Mm -hmm. There's a whole modality people do internal family systems work. That's another mm-hmm. model of parts work. It's a it's a bigger um, mm-hmm. model and it's evidence based. It's beautiful um, and very similar to ego states, but it's all parts work, right? So you can do it on its own. I pair it with EMDR. So EMDR is an eight phase approach to treatment. So we do lots of like, let me fully understand kind of the foundation and background of you. And then we're going to build skills to help get you ready to tolerate processing some of those old stories. Mm-hmm. And it's in that little space as I, and often it's it's the course of our treatment. Often I spend a lot more time doing ego states work than I do um, reprocessing with, with EMDR. But it's um, it's building flexibility in the nervous system. It's finding those like sequestered, um, exiled, really scary parts. Sometimes parts feel very, very mm-hmm. scary to our clients and gently bringing them closer and recognizing like the thing that feels and looks so scary. There's a function to that too. Mm-hmm. If we're scary, we stay away from you, right? Mm-hmm. Or if we're scary, you stay little and small <laughs> and you don't put yourself in situations where you could get hurt, right? There's functions to all of it. But spending all that time gently working with that system to get it integrated enough to then go and process some of those experiences with EMDR to help continue to integrate and fully resolve that stuff in the nervous system. That's how I kind of weave that together. And it, it, it looks a little different for everyone because everyone presents differently, but um, it's a pretty beautiful, solid process. If you can have like a way to metabolize the trauma along with mm-hmm. ego states work. Yeah. So one of our goals with this specific series and sort of highlighting different types of therapy is to just give, just give some, uh, provide some awareness for people who maybe don't, don't have a lot of knowledge about different approaches to therapy and what might be a good fit for them if they're seeking therapy and that sort of thing. Cause Rachel and I have both found, you know, we'll get clients that, you know, just have no idea coming in what to expect or, um, you know, think they're coming for one thing and, you know, there's something else that that comes to the surface. And so we just thought it would be helpful to give some guidance along those lines. So if this is resonating for somebody and they're like, ooh, I want to dig into like all the parts of who I am and they're going to look for a therapist, what's, um, what's something they should maybe keep in mind when pursuing this um, to find somebody who, you know, might be able to guide them through that process. And then what should they expect in terms of treatment? Yeah. So it's a little hard sometimes to find somebody who um, I would love to create a directory of all of like the very solid ego states clinicians. But what I do when I'm making like out of state referrals is I will look for first Um, typically a certified EMDR clinician. And I find that, so um, our governing body for the EMDR world is EMDRIA. 
EMDR International Association. So I'll go to their website, do find a therapist tool. They have a tool there. You can find all the EMDR therapists in your area. And I filter for typically a certified clinician, just because that means they've done extra training. And I'm hoping that in that extra training, they've been exposed to some kind of dissociation work or parts work. And then I will typically filter for dissociative disorders. Um, Because my assumption and hope is that most folks who have done, who say that they do work with dissociative disorders have some kind of understanding there. Um, and then I always interview, like when I seek my own therapist, I'm always like, can you do work with the parts of me? Can you do, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's typically through a mm-hmm. verbal, a verbal conversation. The other way to find somebody, um, IFS internal family systems, you can look for somebody who does IFS and that's a little easier to filter in any of the listservs. Okay. Yeah. That's really helpful. I think. And just sort of knowing some of those things to look for. And I think we do, we have an, we actually uh, interviewed Rebecca as well. So we are doing an EMDR series or uh, episode as well. So we will link the MDRS site again in our show notes uh, today, because I think that is a really valuable piece of just insight and information as far as how to connect with that. Yeah, you bet. So one more last question for you. (laughs) Are there any diagnosis or presentations ego state therapy is better indicated for, or are there any rule outs? Um, no rule outs. Uh, it's not contraindicated for anything, but I would say just like any modality, especially when we're touching on some pretty sensitive stuff, it's all about pacing and dose. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a big misconception is that like one model of therapy doesn't work maybe because it was over applied or we moved too fast and somebody, um, got a little flooded or overwhelmed. Right. And so, um, no, it's beautiful and super effective for all presentations, for all kinds of presentations. Um, but how to apply it and how fast and what parts we look at and all of those types of things that that changes. And that comes with a, with time and training in a skilled clinician. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today and talking through this with us. I think I had perpetual goosebumps this entire conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> any any final words or anything else before we wrap up for today? No, I just feel I'm super grateful that you invited me on here. This is um, a huge passion of mine. And I'm, I, I just, not just because it's like, yes, this will make us good therapists, but it helps us see people differently. I, mm. I brought a quote with me just because I, I lean on this one a lot. This is Judith Herman. Is it okay if I share that? Is it okay? Oh, yes, please. Uh, yeah. So um, Judith Herman wrote Trauma and Recovery. It's just, it's a remarkable book. It was really foundational to lots of trauma research and writing that's happened in recent years. And she says, the clinical picture of a person who has been reduced to elemental concerns of survival is still frequently mistaken for a portrait of the victim's underlying character. So I know that's a lot. I'll give you that quote. You can put it in the show notes if you want or however. Yeah, please do. Yes. But, but essentially what she's saying is it's so easy to confuse a human being as like, this is your personality. This is your character. They are this. They are whatever, right? And so many of those personality traits or attributes or even like Resma Menachem talks about this a lot where, you know, a lot of our trauma and our history, we adapt to it and adjust it and it becomes part of culture when it's really just underlying stress, right? That we've adapted to. And so 
I just say like, what I love about this work is that it allows us to lean in and recognize like that might just be like that thing that looks like my brother-in-law or my sister or my friend or that guy who just flipped me off driving down the road, right? I can look Mm -hmm. at that and say like, they are not just this thing, that then there are survival responses developed, right? That look like parts of self. And it doesn't mean we excuse bad behavior. Accountability is a huge piece of building compassion for other people, but it does soften the way we perceive others. Mm -hmm. And I just, I I hold that that is like, that is the antidote (laughs) to so much of we can be another, right? For the complex humans and our Mm -hmm. elemental concerns of survival. Like that opens a space for like healing, growth, understanding, and just humanity. And just so much compassion too, right? Like I think sometimes when I sit with clients, like I can just see that little wounded child when we're talking about something and it just like, I feel it, they feel it. And so I think understanding that as a clinician too shifts the work of like, oh, I'm connecting with this part of you right now. And that's the most important thing is that you feel seen in this moment, you know, it just shifts all of it. So it's just powerful. So powerful. And that's so true. Like I have found that to be true, not only in my clinical work, but just like you said, personally, like the person who flips mm-hmm. you off or like yeah. is so rude to you. Like I've started to, I've started to see, I started to think about it. Like that was at one time somebody's mm-hmm. little boy. Right. Mm-hmm. And what happened to that little boy, right. To, to produce this really angry part or whatever. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so, and at the same time, what, if I have a reaction to that, what part of me is reacting to right. that and what do I need right. to nurture in that moment? And so it is, it's so, it's so life-changing across mm-hmm. the spectrum of work and also just mm-hmm. personal experience. Well, thank you again. That's a beautiful quote. We will put that in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I need to sit with that for a moment and just like digest that and, <laughs> and, and that sort of thing. So, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Therapy Sisters today for our episode. We're so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And if you want more, please feel free to connect with us on Facebook at the Therapy Sisters Podcast, on Instagram at the underscore therapy underscore sisters, or feel free to shoot us an email at thetherapysisters at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review. We look forward to connecting again next Tuesday. Over and out. <laughs>